This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. There may be no profession more misunderstood by mainstream society than sex work. In this week's story, teller Mila Marshall shares her own experiences as a professional stripper and how this job has much more in common with other professions than you might expect. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in 2018, Second Story is proud to present Everybody's Price. My story has so many beginnings and alternate endings, I honestly don't know where to begin. I mean, I could start my story with the moment I realized my homeboy, my friend, tried to pimp me out, but then again, I could start my story with a married couple who was more successful at their co-pimping attempt. Or I could just start my story by saying, what's good, y'all? My name is Mila, also known as Mystique, at least in two other states, but born as Kellen. I am used to selling myself. I started selling myself at the age of 13. I was a cleaning lady at the Dunes Motel, a job I got that was encouraged by my mother's relationship with this cigarette-swallowing dude named Mr. Charles, who I swear sprinkled ashes into his coffee for flavor. (laughs) I learned that selling myself was what I had to do to get exactly what I wanted. Every day at the Dunes, I was someone new. Rosa on Mondays, Maria on Friday. I was whoever my uniform said I was. I had never really been in a motel before that job and had no clue that rooms were sold by the hour. For my daily five-hour shift, I was cleaning up after prostitutes, using gloves to remove sheets, and delivering hot coffee with extra cream to pimps on the second floor. Maybe that is where the idea of whoring impressed me, especially when payday came. I went into the office to see Mr. Charles, and he handed me a solid $100 bill. It seemed like a lot of money, and it was, but in my heart, I was not impressed with the 20 hours it took me to make it. The prostitutes sold pussy by the hour, sometimes by the services provided, and made more money than I did in less time. And the motel sold their rooms by the hour with surges for peak pussy selling time, so they were able to sell their time for even more money when it made sense. It was fucking brilliant. So it was young Kellen who learned real quick the value of a dollar, and young Kellen who took that lesson down south to college. So let's fast forward to freshman year, 1999 in college. I started doing private strip shows for the locals. And it was easy enough at times and more challenging at others, but always more money in less time all the time. I remember getting the call for a bachelor party, and it was my second show in my amateur ass-shaking career. I packed my shit in my whole bag, Kitten heels, check. Baby wipes, check. Victoria's Secret thongs, check. Mardi Gras beads, gold and purple, check and check. Paul Masson, ugh, check. Ten horny dudes who could care less if I'm legal, holding on to their dollars loosely. And I just wanted it to be clear, whatever the fuck falls from your hands is mine's. A semicircle of excited country-ass men, gold-tooth grinning, dark liquor only drinking, dreadlock having manimals, or dicks with dollars, as I say. I often wish the bulge in their pockets was more money than man meat. Their excitement is audible, music blasting, smelling like hot links and hot ass breath. 
I make my way to some shady ass room and there's always a room for the talent to change. I prefer bathrooms. In my opinion, they're safer. There's no one hiding under the coats or accidentally walking in with their dick out while you change. I mean, honestly, the formality of it all is comical. But being a pussy bead puller takes a certain level of professionalism, you know? <laughs> my hour show flew by. All the pussy beads had been pulled out and it looked like Mardi Gras on one dude's mouth. All pockets had been emptied out onto the floor. I grabbed my money, threw on my joggers and Air Force Ones and chucked the deuces. That's the night I said goodbye to the life of being a private dancing co-ed and graduated to the main stage as a club dancer at the back seat in Pensacola, Florida. I quit private shows because I wasn't feeling paying my manager or paying my muscle. I don't like getting pimped, but let's be real. You don't have to sell pussy to get pimped. You just have to make other people more money using less of their time and energy, but selling more of yours. So young Callan learned real quick the value of a dollar, but it would be Mystique that would live out that lesson. I honestly didn't mean to turn my girls out, but bitches knew I was making money and working third shift at Denny's was whack. We piled up into my teal blue Mercury and headed to Pensacola about two hours away with a military base. So it was money every first and 15th. We walk into the back seat looking like homeless hoes. We had no clue about stripper life, really. Tasty was the manager's wife, and this bitch had a big booty and a bad attitude, but her wigs gave you life. <clears throat> Tasty jiggled when she walked, but swear to God, she didn't like folks fucking with her money, and that's exactly what she saw when she saw three black girls from out of town showing up looking for work. China was sexy, long hair, slanted eyes. Honey, she was East Coast, sweet as pie, red bone with an ass for days. And then there was me. What the, what the fuck would my name be? I didn't have a name when I was doing private shows. So when the manager told me to pick a name, I took a quick walk, lit up a fat blunt, and tried to think. Under the pea colored skies, I walked to my whip, and I was like, Mystique. My Mercury Mystique was my inspiration. So from then on, that's who I became. Mystique was a hustler, not a beggar. Mystique sold dances and dreams, and she didn't catch feelings. I had no interest in anything but making the most amount of money in the least amount of time. Guess that's why the surgeon I recently stopped dating didn't impress me. Like, homie, you ain't made a dollar yet. Playboy, you in the red for a hot second, and besides that, you gotta cut somebody's leg off to get your cash. All I gotta do is show a titty and shake some ass. That was the best part. Topless only and no touching. Selling my time got easier, but it got messier, a little lonelier, and more addictive to a lifestyle I didn't feel like keeping up with. In all honesty, I feel at home on stages. I can remember being in oratorical contests when I was like eight and nine years old, giving speeches to a hundred people. I felt proud. I felt proud that people understood me and it was really nice being heard and it felt good being able to speak in a way that got and held people's attention. So before I sold my body as a stripper, I sold my body as a lifeguard, as an office worker, as a babysitter. And yo, as a waitress at this shitty restaurant that serves you pancakes with every order, surrounded by drag race and white boys that do whippets and acid on third shift, fucking up my tips on first shift because everyone wants whipped cream with their side of pancakes. I sold my body for pennies doing some bullshit, like making 14 cents a minute passing out drinks at the Taste of Chicago. Mystique taught me how to count. 
she taught me how to pay attention to what felt good from what I sold. But she also taught me, don't pay for my own poverty. And she taught me how not to get caught up being pimped, making pennies off other people's dollars. She taught me that I'm really not selling my body, I'm selling my time. No one owns me, no one owes me. Fair wages for fair work. Negotiate and ask for what you need and be worth what you ask for. Mystique has given me more access to a life of self-worth than worthlessness. So what, I mean, fuck it, stripping is sex work. Was I an escort? Yes. Was I a prostitute? <sighs> I'm not so sure. Between the ecstasy, weed, and alcohol, I'm not sure if I did or didn't sell pussy once or thrice. As a stripper, either you're selling dances or you're spending time. So yeah, I do feel at home on stages. And not like I'm arrogant and needing people to look at me, but I get to tell my side of things and invite you to see things through my eyes. But sometimes, no matter what stage I'm on, how valuable or how vulnerable I am, my worth is determined not by me, but the eyes upon me. So young Kellen learned real quick the value of a dollar, but it was Mystique that lived out the lesson and Mila who would make all these dollars make sense. So I went to grad school because I knew I could do more selling my time using my mind than my moves. Someone told me, when you love what you do, money will come. So I began to listen to that message and actually live it out. Yeah, I could sell my time making minimum wage, or I could go to school, make the same amount, and choose to do something that honors my time and energy. Besides that, after you make $1,000 in three songs, shit, if I didn't like the reward, I would just go back to stripping. Seriously, graduate school is not that different. I mean, yeah, I'm Mila now. I kind of did change my birth name from Kellen just because I wanted to. And Mila actually means people's love or apple, depending on what language you translated from. So now I'm a PhD candidate, but damn, I'm still selling myself. Lab or lecture, shit, publications and grants, I'm offering ideas like I offered topless dances in the 90s. Submitting my manuscripts to journals is just as scary and stressful as asking a customer, you want a dollar dance, baby? <laughs> you never know what people will say or how they'll say it. You just prepare to take a no. Fuck that no, you gonna pay me. For example, at the strip club, if Buddy doesn't want to dance, hmm, maybe I can give you a dollar dance, or maybe you can buy me a drink. And if my lab advisor doesn't like my manuscript, I can edit it, just email it back. So if Buddy at the club doesn't want a dollar dance or buy me a drink, I just go grab my girl. I put her on him, she dances, and she shoots me a couple of dollars. If my manuscript isn't hitting, I'll invite another lab member, revise the manuscript, and boom, a bitch got a publication. <laughs> True stories. Every time I walk into my lab room, shit looks the same to me as when I walked in the back room of the strip club. Just instead of people looking for a bump of cocaine, people are fiending for coffee. Instead of baby wipes for sweaty coochies, there's more than enough chem wipes to clean your instruments. And instead of whole bags filled with pussy beads and mace, there are North Face and Marmot messenger bags filled with data and still more mace. <laughs> Cause I'm a woman and it doesn't matter if I'm topless or walking with groceries, people will harass you. Instead of stiletto marks, treads of bikes and muddy boots from working in dirty places. But don't get it twisted. We still all in there selling ourselves. 
sometimes even selling ourselves short. Both of those rooms are filled with people who at the end of the day are committing their bodies to some calling. Maybe it's a calling of compassion to help with environmental justice and global climate change. And then again, it may be a calling to cash just to pay rent. As a PhD candidate, I'm still hustling, but I'm hustling biology. I love selling my time teaching science. So <clears throat> get this, I'm in class last spring and my undergrad turns 21. She's so excited, right? We're doing this pig dissection and L. Michaels Affair is covering a Wu-Tang album and it's on repeat. She comes up to the front room and she says to me, hey, Kels, yeah, I went to the Pink Monkey for my birthday. The strip club? Yeah, and oh my God, there was a stripper named Kellen. All I could do was laugh and say, wow, that is a horrible stripper name. <laughs> and in my mind, I thought how much more money I made as Menage than Mystique. But that's another story for another time. Mila Bay may be here now, but Mystique isn't gone. She's always a part of me, and Mystique is never too far away. I mean, my stripper pole is in the center of my home and a constant reminder of who the fuck I say I am. When my kids found out I was a stripper, they weren't shocked at all. I mean, their daddy did tell them, your mama was a hoe. She sold her naked ass for money. It was hilarious, because I was gonna tell them, but he beat me to it. And besides that, they were like four and five. So one day I asked them what they wanted to do to make money, and all of them had different ideas. One of them wanted to be Spider-Man, the other one wanted to be a butterfly. I asked them, how many hours of your day are you willing to sell? I asked them how much they want to sell their 60 minutes for at a time, $8 or $80? Of course, all of them said 80. I asked them what they are willing to do to be worth $80 for 60 minutes. I mean, I'm real with my kids. But I too told them, when you love what you do, money will come. This story was curated by Imi Tin and Amanda Delheimer, produced by Ali Drum, and directed by Chris Thorin, with music and sound design by Shane Longbane. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is, is the Second, Second Story Podcast.